verses that we were studying today. I thought it would be a whole lot if we read through all of them. So what I want to start off doing is just kind of describing what we've been doing in Deuteronomy and what we read this week. As you know, Moses has been giving the law to the nation of Israel, and we have looked for weeks at what that law is. And now we kind of turn a corner, and we're standing here, and we are reaching the part where we're going to talk about the blessings and the cursings. Basically, it's what's going to happen with all this law that's been given if the nation of Israel does obey, and what's going to happen if it doesn't. And so we start off chapter 27 with Moses telling the nation of Israel, once you get into the promised land, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take some stones, and I want you to write this law on it that we've been reading, or that he's been telling them about, and that we've been reading about, And then I want you to build an altar and offer some sacrifices on them. And then I want you to go to Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And I want you to separate the 12 tribes of Israel. Six, I want to be at Mount Ebal to represent the curses. And six, I want to be at Mount Gerizim to represent the blessings. And then the Levites are to read some of this law and the cursings to the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel is to all respond, amen, after the reading of each of these. And then Moses goes on in great detail to explain that if the nation of Israel obeys this law that God has given, they're going to experience blessing. And not just any kind of blessing, but amazing, amazing blessing in the fields, in the cities, in the harvest, all kinds of blessings for the nation of Israel if they obey. And then he goes on in very great detail to explain that if the nation of Israel does not obey because he loves them and wants to protect them and is, is being good to them, but they're going to experience some significant curses. And for verse after verse after verse, you read this week, of the overwhelmingly terrible curses that were to come upon the nation of Israel. Almost nauseating to me at some points as I read what would happen to them if they did not obey. And unfortunately, we also read that they were not going to fully obey. And at some point, it was going to get so bad that they were going to be taken into exile. They were going to be taken from this land that God had given to them and removed from it. And we were actually supposed to only do chapters 27 and 28 this week, but I thought that that might be the most discouraging homework in the history of Women in the Word. So I had to put a little bit of chapter 30 in there so that we would all be able to sleep this week. And chapter 30 talked about how the nation of Israel, after they've been exiled, does repent and comes back. And God is so, so merciful to them and faithful to them. And he brings them back into the land with great, great blessing again. To be honest, though these verses were difficult to read, they're not really that hard to understand. If you obey God, blessing. If you don't obey God, cursing. There's not really a whole lot more to it than that. And we could all leave now, go to an early lunch, get manicures and pedicures, I don't know, except, except for one thing. As I had you read in your homework, through the rest of the Old Testament, it was very easy for me to find places in the Old Testament to give you to read this week that the nation of Israel did not obey God and experienced great curses. There were some, it was a little harder to find, places in the Old Testament 
where the nation of Israel obeyed and God blessed them. And so we kind of have a problem. Very simple instructions that seem to have been more often than not, not carried out. And is there not part of you as you read, at least for me, I wouldn't say this out loud really, but part of running in my mind is, as I look at the nation of Israel, how dumb can you be? He was so clear. Did you think he was kidding? I mean, he's done everything he ever said he's going to do. You've seen it over and over and over and over again. How dumb can you be? He wants to bless you. Just obey. And yet, about the time I'm thinking that, in my mind, I think, you know, I'm really glad that um, years from now, there's not going to be a book of my life written for people to read (laughs) and for someone to stand on a stage because what they would say is, Kathy, how dumb are you? How many times are you going to doubt and fear and worry and be completely and totally selfish? Unfortunately, we find ourselves in a place very similar to the nation of Israel in our wrestling to obey. And it begs the question, why? God was very clear. It's not most of the time that we wonder what he wants us to do. We just don't do it. So what we're going to spend most of our time looking about is a little bit of why. And to be honest, it's an an answer that covers far more than we could spend time on today. So I've actually just picked a, a segment of why that I want us to look at that I think we can see in the nation of Israel and see in us that might help us as we walk out the door, understand a little more why it's so hard and be ready to fight a little more wisely and a little harder in the wrestling that we have as we try to obey. What I'm going to talk about today is what I've called the paradox of obedience. Because for me, as I look a little bit of obedience, there's one side of the coin. And I'm not going to actually spend very much time talking about that because I don't think that's our problem. Kind of the upside of the coin. But then there's the flip side that I think catches us off guard and causes us to stumble a little bit when we go to obey. First, however, we're going to look at the upside of this. If you have your Bibles, it's probably already open to Deuteronomy, but if not, go ahead and do that and turn with me to chapter 28. God describes for the nation of Israel here what's going to happen when they obey, starting in verse 1. He says, And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you on one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you and your barns and in all that you undertake. And he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. 
the upside of this coin, of this paradox, is sometimes obedience feels good. I couldn't help, as I thought about this, about the book of Proverbs and the amount of things that are commanded to us in the book of Proverbs and how as I thought about those themes, I thought about how, you know, it really does feel good when we obey him. I thought about um, how Proverbs talks about money and we need to be wise with our money. And when we're wise with our money, we don't have the stress of debt. We're free to give. I thought about the wrong handling of money and how lately the greed apparent in our country that has caused the crumbling of so many countries. Those who've obeyed feels a little better when we obey God's word. Sexual purity, a theme in Proverbs. Typically when we obey that, feels better. Our families stay more intact because we're not drawn apart by some sort of sexual impurity that enters our family. Our bodies tend to be healthier when we obey. God's commands for sexual purity, it just tends to feel a little better. When with our mouth, as Proverbs talks about, we're not deceitful, we don't gossip, it tends to feel better. Friends trust us, we have better relationships, we don't find ourselves before the court because we've lied to protect ourselves in some regard. There's, there's a very real sense at which, when we obey, it just it feels better. It feels good. But I have a question. Those verses that I just read in chapter 28, does that mean that every single solitary godly person in the nation of Israel got every single solitary thing they ever wanted? Is there any truth to the health, wealth, prosperity gospel? If we just obey enough, believe enough, pray enough, are we going to get everything we want? Is that how obedience works? The short answer to that is no. And we're going to spend our time delving a little bit underneath the surface of what the nation of Israel went through as they obeyed, and us as well, and looking at the scripture, because frankly, sometimes obedience hurts. And it is in those moments that I think that we are much less inclined to obey. Turn with me to chapter 73 of the book of Psalms. We're going to look at a person here who's wrestling a little bit with something about obedience that hurts a little bit. Starting in verse 2, the psalmist says, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. It hurt him when he looked around and saw wicked people seeming to be prosperous. And this bothered him. He said, there are no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Jump to verse 12. He says, Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. And then he says, All in vain I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence, for all day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. In other words, I have wasted my time obeying. It would have been much easier to be wicked and get their prosperity. Then something happens in verse 16. He says, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. He didn't get it until he went into the sanctuary of God. And here's the key. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. 
You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment. Swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one arouses. Oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. Oh, the curse will come. In the end. It is there. It is coming. Furthermore, verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with me. With you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Oh, the blessing's coming, and here's the blessing. Whom have I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Oh, the blessing was coming. The blessing of God here and in heaven. But the reality is, and this is on... Your outline on earth, it doesn't always go your way. It just doesn't always go your way. But what is our response to that? We obey. Why? In light of the end. There is and will be an end where there will be cursings and there will be blessings that are very clear and easy to see. And if we are not aware of and to some extent with our mind on that, There are times that we're not going to obey here because we're looking at here and we're not looking at the end. Think with me about the nation of Israel as we move to the next point. Um, You know, God gave them a lot of things to do. There were a lot of commands. They were to go into the land. They were to raise families. They were to go into battle with certain people. They were to worship in certain ways. They were to set up governance and judges in certain ways. They were to take care of the needy and the poor. There were a lot of things that they were supposed to do. And I think sometimes we read that and we almost think that the nation of Israel is floating around in some pseudo-angelic state and that this was easy. That they just kind of floated around with their magic wand and was like, okay, bread for this widow, build a city here. No, no, no. Their obedience took work. Our obedience takes work. And sometimes it hurts, and I don't want to do it, and I don't like it, so I don't obey. There's a verse in Deuteronomy. I mean, there's a lot of verses in Deuteronomy that have struck me. But from these passages, there's one that my heart looks at and thinks, oh my goodness. It's in chapter 28, verse 47. And it's one of the reasons that the curses would come, and it's because they did not. It says, serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart. I don't know about you, but I get to live with my heart. And and to be honest, it is not always serving the Lord all the time, 24-7, with gladness and joy of heart. It doesn't happen. And for me to even begin to obey that one command in one really large book takes a whole lot of work. It takes a whole lot of work for me to even try to get that part of that that one verse right. In fact, the past few weeks, God's been gracious enough to show me how really, really far my heart is from that. And how much labor it requires spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically. If I had to seek a few good friends. Hey, hey, help me with my heart. What do, what do I need to do? I'm, I'm falling short here. It's taking them work to fix my heart to obey one verse of scripture. 
obedience, I thought about calling this lesson, but I didn't. I thought about calling it obedience is not for wimps. Obedience takes work. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians. It's on your verse sheet. He says this. Think about the work that goes into this. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Obedience takes work. And when the nation of Israel and we forget that, we disobey because we don't want to put the work in. So what's our response to that? We must discipline ourselves to obey. We must discipline ourselves to obey. This is not an easy calling to which we have been called. The next point to me is in some sense the hardest to try to wrap my brain and my heart around. I tried to to put myself in the position of the nation of Israel. I tried to imagine being an elder, like Lynn talked about, when the rebellious son was supposed to be brought up and judged. And I imagined myself being an elder and watching my longtime best friends bring their son before me and knowing that God's law said he must be stoned. And I thought about emotionally what it would have cost to obey. Can you imagine exercising that judgment on your good friends and imagining what your relationship with them would cost? As we read in Deuteronomy, frankly, if your own children, spouse, or any member of your family were to try to make you worship other gods, we read this, you were supposed to kill them. You were supposed to kill them as a protection for you and the nation of Israel from being drawn away from God. I don't know about you, but there is a high emotional cost to that. That is not an easy command to obey. There were people that the nation of Israel were not allowed to intermarry with. Can't imagine that there wasn't somewhere, sometime along the way, that wanted to marry someone they weren't supposed to marry. And the heartache that would have come to obey the word of God. The reality is, obedience may cost you a lot. There are some of you in the room who have been wronged in very significant ways, and you know the emotional cost and labor it takes to bear that burden and to forgive, don't you? As I thought about this in my own life and what obedience has cost, An instance came to mind that may seem silly to you, but to me, at the time, it was a very big deal. I was actually getting my master's degree. I'd graduated from college and done very well. I was getting my master's degree at the time. I was making all A's, but there had been something I'd done early in high school. I'd asked the Lord for forgiveness a long time ago, and I knew he'd forgiven me. But I knew my conscience wasn't totally clear because I hadn't gone back to try to make it right. And I'm not saying everyone would have to, to do what I'm what I did. I'm just telling you, God worked on my heart to lead me to do this. And, and it was very difficult for me because in, uh, you know, we all, we place our identity in the wrong things and we see ourselves in certain ways. And for me, in high school, I was the good girl, largely did what was right, and I was the smart girl. I did really well in school. 
And that's where I wrongly placed my identity and found my security. And not for normal reasons, because I, I did study a lot, but for different reasons, which are too long to explain. My first couple years of high school, I knew I had cheated on a number of tests, and I'd long since asked the Lord's forgiveness and moved on. But I knew I had never really gone back to make that right. And so, getting my master's degree, I picked up the phone one day, and I called the high school that I'd went to, which is in a totally different state, asked to speak to the principal. She wasn't there or available at the time, and so they sent me to the assistant principal, who I didn't know, and so I explained to him what I just explained to you. And I watched myself lay down my idols of the good girl and the smart girl as I said, I need to ask your forgiveness. I cheated on some tests when I was in high school, and I need to ask you to forgive me for that, and if you would like my high school diploma back, I will be happy to send it back to you. There went my smart girl identity, And there went my good girl identity right out the window. And for me, the cost of obeying God to clear my conscience was very significant. Because I imagine filling out job applications where they ask for your high school diploma and you don't have one and you tell them why. Great. He was very gracious and forgave me and I still have my high school diploma. But it was that instance I learned. Obedience costs. And our response must be that we obey regardless of the cost, which incidentally may be very, very high at points for us. Do you see why we in the nation of Israel sometimes turn away from obeying? The cost is high. The work is high on earth. It doesn't look like it makes any sense. It's a hard deal. It hurts. It hurts to do that. The fourth thing I want to mention, uh, I'll start by telling you, several months ago, as Deb, who's the leader of our teaching team, had been studying Deuteronomy and deciding who was going to teach on what, and we were meeting in Shelley's office, and she was telling us all what we were going to teach, and I had two thoughts. I'll be honest and tell you what my first thought was, and you can laugh at me and my lack of spirituality. But as I looked at the verses, those verses, when I was reading through Deuteronomy before me wet, all those verses Lynn taught on about the laws and how to make it make sense to everyone, it just absolutely overwhelmed me when I read it. And as Deb hands us the form of what we're teaching, my first thought was, God, I'm glad I'm not Lynn. I don't have those verses. (laughs) So that was my first thought when Deb assigned the verses. But my second thought, as I looked at these verses today, there was a scripture that came to my mind, and I thought, oh, Lord, how do I teach this passage in a way that we rightly understand obedience? Because 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, came into my mind. It's on your verse sheet. It says, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Oh, wait a minute. That means obedience and godliness may be the cause of some of the pain in your life. Not only that, according to this verse, if you're really getting obedience and godliness right, obedience will be the cause of some pain in your life. If there's no pain in your life because of obedience, according to this verse, it means we're not quite obeying and being godly enough. Thinking about Paul and his obedience and the amount of persecution that he went through, 
how he went through beatings and torture and imprisonment and loneliness and heartache for the churches. I haven't thought about the nation of Israel. I thought, you know, we like to think it was all easy for them, but the reality is they were God's chosen people. God had a plan, had called them to obey. And you know what? There were some people that hated them because of that. Think about Pharaoh and the nation of Egypt as they were trying to leave and as God was blessing them and growing their nation in Egypt. He hated them because of their God. He hated them and persecuted them because of their connection with God. The most obedient person that ever was, Jesus Christ, was persecuted because of his obedience. Sometimes we're on obedience track and we derail because it will be far less painful in a sense, not fully, but in a sense to not obey than to keep on the track and obey through being persecuted. Um, It's hard to think about in this country for me being persecuted for our faith because of the stories we read and the things that we know that go on in other countries for someone simply gathering in a place like this, they might be killed. But as I thought about my life, unfortunately, there weren't very many instances I could share with you about my persecution for doing what was right. But there was one that came to mind that is going to seem really silly to you, but I can tell you, it was miserable. It was so miserable. I worked in a place, in an office that wasn't very large, a long time ago, and there were... Everyone that worked there was Christians. And there were some people I got along with real well and other people that I didn't get along with but I didn't hang out or whatever. And and there was a group of women in that group that gossiped and, and slandered people behind their back a whole lot. And I never, I probably should have, even lovingly confronted them on it. I just would not participate in it. I would just go back to my desk and work. Didn't even say anything. And over a period of time, they noticed, and it really bothered them, that I would not stay and gossip and slander with them. And I know this seems so silly, but I will tell you that they really hated me. And they tried to make my life absolutely miserable. They gossiped behind my back. They slandered about me. They didn't just go to my boss. They went to my boss's boss to slander me about things that were not even true. And when you're working in a relatively small office 40 hours a week, and you have a group that literally are trying to make yourself miserable, I will tell you, I hated it. It was wretched just because I wouldn't sit around and gossip with them. There are things in our life that if we really hold strong and obey, there's some people that aren't going to like us. There's some people that are going to try to make our lives pretty miserable. And it's in those moments where that rubber meets the road, when sometimes we just don't want to obey. And as I thought about what our response to this should be, I thought about a verse in the book of Acts that I think is so precious. It's after some individuals have been persecuted for the name of Christ. And they say something that is just so sweet and so unique, and not what you would expect them to say. They, they left the presence of the council, and what were they doing? They were rejoicing that they were accounted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus Christ. Even though that was miserable for me, what a sweet blessing that for some reason God said, Kath, I'm going to let you suffer 
because you name my name and you mean it in the way you live. And our response to suffering so obedience should be that we rejoice amidst the pain in our circumstances because, wow, we were considered worthy to be persecuted just a little bit for the name of our Jesus. You were probably, as I was, as I was studying this, now um, a little overwhelmed with the task before us of obeying. It looks a little harder and a little more daunting than it does when we read from a far distance what the nation of Israel must have gone through. And so I wanted to give you a little bit of encouragement. In 2 Corinthians, Paul again says something. And I want this to be such an encouragement for you as we walk out of here seeking to obey. God says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We are too weak to obey like we should. However, we have the grace of our Lord Jesus to enable us in that process. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. If you feel unable to do this, good. Because Jesus is waiting to give you a strength that you don't have. And the encouragement that I have for you is that you are never alone or expected to obey alone. Your Lord Jesus, in his power and grace is right there with you. The second thing that I'd like to encourage us all with as we journey through this calling of obedience to our Lord is in Philippians. Paul had had a lot at seasons in his life and he'd suffered a lot at seasons in his life. And he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Verse 10, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. You know, when Amy McConnell was teaching us way back in, in the beginning of Deuteronomy, she gave a blessing of obedience, a, a definition of blessing that I loved. And I wrote it down because she totally agrees with Paul and they're both very wise. She said that this is the blessing. This is the blessing of obedience that we get. She says that it is an eternal, loving, abiding relationship with a holy God. An eternal, loving, abiding relationship with a holy God. So the blank on your outline, what's the encouragement? You get That is the blessing that you can bank on. Everything else may not look right until the end, until Jesus comes back, but the blessing that you have and the blessing you get, which Paul says is better than absolutely anything else, the blessing that you can bank on that Amy and Paul talk about is that you get Jesus. So our response to that is this. Look around in your obedience. You are not alone. You are not alone. As we move into this last section, I want to ask you to do something. Put your pens down for a minute. And I want us to pretend like we are the nation of Israel standing 
at the bottom of Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. We've come in, and the law is getting ready to be recited to us. And if you remember, some things were read, and then the text tells us, it says, and all the people shall say, and then the people said, Amen. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, in no specific order, I'm going to read a few of these, not all of them. And then I'm going to say, and all the people shall say, and I want you to all respond with amen. I want you to, to the degree that you can, put yourself there. Imagine yourself as a nation of, of Israel standing at the bottom of these two mountains. And I want you to imagine what you might have felt like. Cursed be anyone who lies with any kind of animal, and all the people shall say, Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother, and all the people shall say. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, and all the people shall say. Cursed be anyone who strikes down his neighbor in secret, and all the people shall say. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say. I don't know what your emotional response to that is, but I'll tell you what mine is. Mine is, I am in big trouble. I'm in big trouble. I mean, on number one, curse anyone who lies with any kind of animal. I'm okay on that one. <laughs> I, I, I mean, so I'm doing all right. I'm doing okay. <laughs> Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or mother. Um, can't say I've always done real well on that one. Uh, taking care of the fatherless and the widow like I should? I mean, sometimes, but like, all the time? Like, I don't know about that one. Mm, not doing real good. Um, cursed be anyone who strikes down his neighbor in secret. Well, I'm okay with that one. Never hit or murdered my neighbor, except, oh, wait a minute, that whole Jesus thing in Matthew where he talks about if you lust, uh, it's as if you've committed adultery in your heart. So I ever hated my neighbor? Uh yeah, when his dog's barking at 6 a.m. on Saturday and waking me up again. Um, so I guess I'm, I'm not doing real well on that one either. Uh, and the last one, cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law, like all of them, like everything Lynn's been talking about, like all of them. I'm standing at the mountain, and I'm not feeling so good. Because very rightly... There's a really large curse to do me. There's a lady at Christ Chapel that's been having an email exchange with a lady from another country. And I've been emailing with her a little bit because she's wanted some help with it. And she sent me some, uh, some things that this lady has written. And I thought it was so interesting. This lady does not receive the, believe the Bible for two reasons. And I want to read for you what she says is one of the reasons that she does not believe the Bible. She says... The commandments are impossible to follow because they imply that even thinking about sin is a sin. She's read Deuteronomy 27 and 28. She recognizes as an unbeliever the impossibility of this. And she says, done with this. I don't know if you know much about the life of Martin Luther. He was a very, very significant individual in church history, a significant player in the Protestant Reformation. Don't have enough time to tell you all his story and the ways that his faithfulness to God has impacted you very directly. But something I don't know if you know about Martin Luther is for about 15 years of his life, he went through very, very significant spiritual anxieties. He was absolutely downcast and felt terrible 
So he had a bachelor's, a master's, a doctorate. He was a professor at Wittenberg, teaching the scripture. He became a monk, because that was, at the time, known as the fast track to heaven. But even after he became a monk, he realized, I still don't feel good enough. I'm reading this Bible and this righteousness it requires, and the curse that's coming. He was absolutely destroyed by it in many ways. He says this, We must bear in mind that to do the works of the law does not mean only to live up to the superficial requirements of the law, but to obey the spirit of the law to perfection. But where will we find the person who can do that? Let him step forward and we will praise him. The people in the bottom of Mount Ebal and Mount, Mount, Mount Gerizim and the lady from the other country that's not a believer and Martin Luther and we all get it. We're in trouble. However, the last verse of the book of Deuteronomy chapter 7, 27 doesn't just appear in Deuteronomy. It actually appears again in the book of Galatians. And so I'd like for you to look at your verse sheet as we look at where this verse again appears. Galatians 3, starting in chapter 10, says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Amen? We felt that. Absolutely. For it's written, Cursed be everyone. This is the verse in Deuteronomy. It's repeated here. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Amen. Yes, the nation of Israel experienced those curses in some degree, but the fullness of the curse due upon them and due upon us for our sin and inability to keep the law of a holy God is far greater than we could ever begin to imagine. And being justified before God because of keeping it? Galatians says, no way. Uses Deuteronomy to say, not a chance. Not a chance you're going to be right with God before this. Instead it says, the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not a faith, whether the one who does them shall live by them. Now listen to this, what happens to the curse? If we learned anything in our homework this week, was it not, God does whatever God says he's going to do. And he does things consistent with his holy character. And the curse due upon me for my sin leaves me in big trouble. Is God just going to, like, forget about the curse? I mean, that's like a big forget. That's like a lot of curses. That's like a lot of me not doing the law. That's like a lot of the nation of Israel not fully living up to the law. That's a big curse. We read the curses this week. Even the ones we read about were terribly overwhelming. What happened to the curse sitting upon us and upon the nation of Israel and Mount Ebal and Mount Zerzim? Where did it go? Where did it go? Listen to this, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Amen. The magnitude of that curse sitting upon the nation of Israel at the bottom of Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. The amount of curse laying upon us that weights us down is lifted. Put on Christ. He bears the weight of the wretchedness of the curse. And that perfect righteousness The only obedient one, our Jesus Christ, obeyed every bit of the law and the righteousness and the blessing 
the blessing of Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim is taken, that righteousness, and laid upon us. That's what happened to the curse. That's what happened because of mine and yours and the nations of Israel inability to keep perfectly the law of God. And how do we get it? So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so we might receive the promised spirit by faith. We are free of that curse because of Jesus Christ and believing in him. Martin Luther says this, once he realized this 15 years later, here I felt I was altogether born again and it entered paradise itself through open gates. There a totally other face of the entire scripture showed itself to me. He also says, because God saw that we could not fulfill the law, he provided a way of salvation long before the law was ever given. A salvation that he promised to Abraham, saying, in thee all the nations shall be be blessed. You know, for the nation of Israel, their means of a righteousness before a holy God is the same as ours, it's faith. In Genesis 15, we see that Abraham believed God, and that's where his righteousness came from. The righteousness that we have as we stand before a holy God them and us is believing in God and who he is. So what is our response? As you stare dumbfounded at the only obedient one who kept every bit of that law, who was so immense he was able to take the curse for everyone who would ever believe. And as he was gracious enough to do it, can you do anything but stare open-mouthed in awe Worship and gratitude for the one who took your curse. So does that mean our obedience doesn't matter? No, of course our obedience matters. Not for salvation. Jesus took care of that. We can't obey enough to be saved. Absolutely not. But our obedience matters. And it's still hard. It's still hard work. Absolutely it's hard work. And of course it matters. It matters for God's glory. It matters for eternal rewards. It, rad- it matters for the blessing that Amy and Paul talked about. The eternal, abiding, loving relationship with the Holy God. It matters because we get more of Jesus as we obey more. It's work. But yeah, it's worth it. Absolutely it's worth it. For more and more of a glimpse of awe. At the one who took the curse, obeyed the law, and gave us the blessing no one in this room deserved. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I can't imagine the perfection that you are, that you obeyed all the law. I can't imagine the immensity of which you are, that you bore the curse the weight of the curse of the wrath and justice of God for a bunch of people standing at the bottom of Mount Ebal and Gerizim and standing in Fort Worth, Texas at Christ Chapel Bible Church. I can't imagine the grace with which you are that you would absolutely do it. Praise you, Lord Jesus. We are in awe. And in response, Lord, we'd like to obey a little bit more this week than we did last week. We're pretty good on disobeying, but sometimes we're not so good on obeying. 
We don't like the work. We don't like the cost. We don't like the pain. We don't like the fact that on earth it doesn't look like that. But that, in a sense, doesn't matter because you are so worth it. And what you have commanded us to do, oh, Lord Jesus, we long to obey. Would you, like you did with Paul, give us your sufficient grace to obey in small ways? And would you give us more and more increasing glimpses and moments of the awe of who you are? Thank you so much, Jesus, for taking my curse and giving me your righteousness. It's in your amazing name.